God wants us to live from the finished work of the cross. It's finished, which means you live from, not towards. You're living from a reality within you. It propels you forward because it's a finished work. It's a done work. And we understand and we've come into, through the power of revelation, the finished work of the cross, which means we're no longer begging or asking. We're just receiving what has already been given before the foundations of the earth. I finished it all. Which means there's a pursuit and there's a possession through love that we need to come into if we're going to live this way. Can you hear me? Can you really hear me? Are you, after hearing me, propelled to move forward and do something about what I just said? You see, there is a reality, church. There's a reality as sons that Jesus died for us to live from, not towards. And too many of the songs today and too many of what I hear is all about moving towards something. I'm struggling to get to position A, and God says, come and be in me, and you'll live the whole alphabet. From Z to A, A to Z, and everything in the middle. Because it's a position of power. You see, the same power we just sung that rose him from the grave, God wants inhabiting his people. He wants you and I to know, experience the tangible power that rose you from being lost to found, that took the dead guy Jesus to the alive guy Jesus. Mm. so powerful. It's a powerful life. It's a humble life, but a powerful life. It's a life that knows it has authority. It's a life that doesn't need to prove itself. It's not a life that brags. It's not a life that's arrogant. It's not a life that has to perform. It's just a life that is. And it's a life that demonstrates the reality of the kingdom on earth while it has an opportunity to breathe. It's awesome, and it's the great news, not the good news. It's the great news. But sometimes what we think we know or what we do know, which is good, keeps us from the God. It keeps us out of what's for us. And so we don't want to leave where we found because we think that's all there is, and it's comfortable, but God says, get out of the comfortable and get into me. I didn't send the Holy Spirit that he could just comfort you and put his arms around you. I sent the Holy Spirit for when I turn your whole oops, your world all upside down, he will comfort you. He's going to comfort you into the kingdom. Meaning when things don't go the way they, you think they're planned, he comes and he says, it's okay. This is from my father and I'm here to comfort you while my father turns your house upside down. Why? Because you've incorporated him into your life. You've incorporated me in. And my father needs to turn that house upside down. He needs to turn the tables of the hut upside down like he did in the temple. Why? Because the rubbish that's in there has got to get out. So when Jesus walked into the temple, he saw stuff that shouldn't have been there and he cast it out. So when he comes into your heart and my heart, he sees stuff that shouldn't be there and he wants to cast it out. Why? So you can be the house full of glory. So you can know the power of the life in Christ that he died for you to know now, not when you get to heaven. Now, it's a now, now, now reality. We say, oh, when I get there, it's now. And this love that's perfect 
cast out all fear that you could know the one of love. Oh, this is good, isn't it? This is good preaching. Thank you, Holy Spirit. None of this is down. So we roll with it. You probably would have seen me. I've been changing this thing the whole morning. (laughs) I knew this morning it just wasn't quite it. I knew it was good, but it wasn't it. And then he starts to speak. And it's like, oh, this is good now. Life is the classroom. Love is the lesson. Life is the classroom. Love is the lesson. Are you learning love through your life? Are you coming into the perfected love in Christ through your life? Are you seeing every obstacle, trial, and challenge as an opportunity to know love? Isn't that what we heard at the camp? Through a marriage, a fear, a breakup, Rhonda saw it as an opportunity not to run away, but to know love, love Him, that empowered her to stay. Not because she wanted to, but because God said, God gave her her word, you'll stay. Three years, not three minutes, three years it took. But she had a word from God and she believed and she came through that process. You know what she get more of? God, more love. I heard that manifesting out of her. That's why I said to her, keep speaking, man. This is a reality that we don't yet know here. When you go through something, And don't run away from it, but run into the trial. Embrace it with Him. He says, I've sent you the Holy Spirit as a comforter. I want to do a deep, deep work in you. But we run away because it doesn't fit the box because we've only incorporated Jesus in. That doesn't make my life better. No, it's going to kill your life. (laughs) But there's no loss in Christ. So it actually births life. You see, there is no loss. You lose, you gain. Isn't that crazy? In the world, we think we lose, we lose. When you lose your life, you find it. But you have to lose it for his sake, not your own. So you don't lose it because you want to gain what you've already got. You don't lose it because you want him to make it feel better. You lose it for his sake and what he is about. So life is the classroom and love is the lesson that he wants us all to learn. 1 John 2, 5 says, but whoever keeps his word in him, say in me, in you and me, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. Whoever keeps his word. You need to ask yourself and go away and ask the Holy Spirit, what does it mean to keep His word. Because those that keep his word, the love of heaven is perfected in them. So the answer to getting this love being perfected in you that casts out all fear is to keep his word. Christ primarily is the word. Which means if we incorporate Jesus in, that is not keeping the word. It's surrendering and allowing Christ the word to come in and establish himself in our whole life. That's what it means to keep the word and then to be in his words and eat and drink his words your entire life and abide in him. And through the abiding, you have this perfect love being perfected. So now what can you do? Love like Christ. You can love God and people just like Jesus commanded the church to do. The first commandment you're able to fulfill. How cool is that? Paul said, I want to present 
every man complete in Christ. Have you asked yourself what that means? Paul's passion, his ministry, the apostolic grace gift on his life was to present every person in Christ complete before the Father at that judgment seat. Why? Because there's something the Father wants to give now and in the future. And Paul understood all of this, hence he laid his life down that we would come into this thing called perfect love, which is God. That we would be perfected in love, which means we are perfected in God. It's weighty, isn't it? See how the apostolic standard is not earthly. For too long the church has preached earthly word. We can achieve it in our own strength. That is not God. God does not allow us to achieve things in our own strength, so he proves himself to be God in our lives. But the man will always try through renewing of his own mind, through his own ability, and get nowhere ultimately. But the church is to allow the Holy Spirit to invade the heart Because this is the place of understanding. And then the Holy Spirit renews the spirit of our mind so now we can see and receive the lives that we've been called for through love. So we've been talking about love being patient, haven't we? That God is so patient with us while this is being outworked. Love is kind, which means God is love. He's, he's patient. He's kind to us while we run around trying to find life outside of him. And he's so kind, blessing us and blessing us with stuff. And he says, love isn't jealous either, but he's jealous for us. So who is he, man? Do you know him? Because he's waiting for us to know him but not just to know him, to know his plans, and then to live from this position of love. And I want to talk about love does not brag and is not arrogant today. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is, doesn't brag and it's not arrogant. There's three things that I just want to give you and just put them up. And I'm just going to speak to one for time. But love doesn't brag and it's not arrogant because it has nothing to prove. I'm going to unpack that this morning. Love doesn't brag and is not arrogant because it is secure and confident in itself. And love doesn't brag and is not arrogant because it doesn't think more highly of itself. This is the position that love is. And when we come into love more and more and more and have it perfected within us, then that becomes our reality. Those are just three things the Spirit put on my heart. But I think the most important one is number one. It doesn't have to prove itself. Man, this radically affects your relationship with Him. It radically affects the works. It radically affects everything. When you understand that love doesn't brag and it's not arrogant because it has nothing to prove. Nothing to prove. It's not a performance, is it, this relationship? So why do we live as if it is? 
You see, when you say yourself you're not good enough, it becomes a performance. Because you're trying to perform to get better. Can you hear what I'm saying? If you think it's about getting soul saved, then it becomes a performance primarily. So you're measuring yourself by your performance, how well you're doing. He says, son, it's not a performance. It's a relationship. Do you know how many people I run into that ask me this question? How big is your church? You know what I say? I say, well, firstly, it's not my church. So it's a silly question. Ask him how big his church is. He'll tell you. But it's not my church. I am part of the church, but it's not my church. So don't ever ask me how big this rock is, because ask him. Ask the rock how big the rock is. Why do we ask that? You know why? Because we've got this competitive spirit in us. And it compares, doesn't it? And we compare ourselves. Why? Because we're trying to prove ourselves against someone else. We want to know we're doing all right. Compared to Paul, man, I'm flying. So I must be okay because we're looking for this place of peace that I want to know I'm a good boy who's doing good things for the Lord because I've got this warped thing in my mind that God's looking at me going, son, if you don't perform, you're out. But see, here's the challenge. There are works that are to be done that God's going to reward, but it's not based on performance. It's based on obedience. And you say, Greg, aren't they the same things? I say, no, they're not. Because when you're in obedience from a position of delight, you love to do things because you know they're in an alignment to the Father. They're not anything's trying to prove your way to God. That's religion. That's all the other religions. They're trying to get right with God. And God says, you're already right, Greg. Receive righteousness, son. Because my love, it doesn't brag. It's not arrogant because it doesn't need to prove anything. So as I come into this reality, it sets me free from me. And now I don't try to prove anything. And I'm not bragging about who I am in Christ or my Father's plans. I'm just trying to glorify my Father's name and live the way He desires me to live. Man, does the church need to get rid of competition? I was on a plane last year and a very prominent cricket player said this to me, who I know is a Christian, says, oh, you go to that church, you're the competition. That's sad. It's not a cricket game, mate. It's the kingdom. According to Chris, uh, Chris Logan, they play cricket in the kingdom, but I'm not sure about that. It's close because it is a round ball, but it's a small round ball. (laughs) But see, it's not a competition. And this is what I share with the guys in Cambodia. I'm trying to share Christ, and I can see fear coming off them. I ask them a question because it's all about right or wrong. And I'm going, no, it's about just knowing him. All I'm here to do is through the question, I'm trying to help you get to know God. 
which is the primary purpose of the Lord, is to know Him, because if you know Him, everything else takes care of itself. But while we're still trying to prove ourselves to God, we're not on the journey of getting to know God. And so I'm looking at these young men saying, do you trust me? Because they're so afraid of getting the question wrong. And I said, let the power of God break you free off right and wrong and just into knowing Him. And I would say that to you today. It's not about right and it's not about wrong. It's about knowing Him. And if we know Him more and more, do you know what we do? We just start flowing naturally from a place of righteousness. The church has made it about right and wrong, and that's why there's so much division in the body. I'm right, you're wrong. You need to come to my side. And so you get this watered down, very divided word that actually God says is one. Because we're trying to prove something. Because we ultimately don't know who we are. A son never tries to prove his sonship. He knows he's a son. Slaves do. Because they're looking for that affirmation from their performance, from their work. I don't know who I am, so I'm seeking approval through the work that I do. I'm seeking to looking, affirm me, affirm me, affirm me through what I do for you. Am I a good boy? I need that because I can't find any rest. I can't be still and know your God. So I need something to enter me that makes me actually find a counterfeit version of being still. And we have to be apprehended from it, arrested, cut, and renewed. Otherwise, we'll never come into this love he's talking about because we're trying to prove ourselves worthy when we already are. Let's go have a look at Luke 4, and this is where we're going to base this on. This is a powerful, powerful passage, and there's two things operating. There's a challenge which is twofold. And it's for Jesus and us. So I'm going to address the issue of Christ first. Then I'm going to address the issue for us. And it's all around identity and works for God because love doesn't need to brag. You see, when you're in love, you actually don't need encouragement. You don't because you're full. I'm not saying it's not nice, but you don't need it. You don't go looking for it. Some people actually go looking for something called encouragement, and until they get it, they don't have rest because they need a false something of something that's human, fleshly, because that's the posture. See, it's flesh looking for flesh. The more you're in him, you need nothing that is human, You need the church to be the church, to receive the gifts of the church. Can you hear what I'm saying? But you don't need emotional attachments. You don't need emotional fixes. You don't need any of that stuff because Jesus is the truth. And when you're in the way, you're in the truth, then you're in the life of Christ. And that's a full position of power. The beautiful position of that is now you're free to love everyone and anyone, no matter their behavior. You see, you're not looking for that person to fill. You can love on them in their flesh or their brokenness that still haven't come into that measure of Christ yet, and you can encourage them into it. It's releases. It's called freedom. 
and we're scared of freedom. Don't be scared to be free. It's why he came. And when someone speaks from the full position of Christ, don't write it off. Receive it because it's for us. Hear and receive the reality of the life that is free from flesh. Go, wow, is that possible? For me? Yes. For his people, his sons. So let's do a bit of reading, eh? Luke 4, verses 1 to 4. This is the temptation of Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. That's important. Returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. I have a question for us. Do you think the enemy knew that Jesus knew who he was? So do you think that the enemy knew that Jesus knew who he was? Some are saying no, some are saying yes. So, okay. Some say no, Jesus didn't know who he was, and some are saying yes, he did know who he was. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, do you think you know who you are? So I'm going to say to you, Jesus did know who he was. So why is the enemy trying to challenge him with it if you are the son of God? Because he's not really challenging that. He's trying to get him into doing works that the father hasn't asked him to do. He is crafty, man. See, he knows more than we know, I believe, a lot of the time. He knows the written logos, but he doesn't know the rima. So he actually, in this verse, challenges Jesus out of Psalms because he knows things, but he's not able to know the truth even though he knows what's true. So he doesn't know how to apply the right word at the right time. So he's trying to hoodwink Christ because Christ knows who he is, I believe. The enemy knows that, so he goes, let's see, you're hungry. You've just come out of the wilderness. You weren't hungry in the wilderness, but you've come out. You see, the enemy thinks he's vulnerable. He will always try and strike you where he sees you could be possibly vulnerable and touch that area. But see, Jesus is full of his Father. He's full of the Spirit. This is before he even started his ministry. You aware of this? So before he even starts anything, he's full of God. Before he goes into spiritual warfare, He's full of God. You see, we're so quick to get on board with the mission, and we're not full. So we go into the mission with no armor. Not a good thing to do. Probably going to get burnt out, deflated, frustrated. This doesn't work. What am I doing? God, I've got a form of godliness, but I don't have any power. No, because you miss the first part called getting full of me. So the enemy comes and he starts to challenge this works thing. But Jesus is on to him, isn't he? 
He's well on to him. So here's the thing. We're to be like the sun, aren't we? So the seed produces after its own kind, correct? So Jesus, when he died, released a seed, did he not, in John? That you and I would know the things that he knows and live the life he lived. Right, so the challenge is here. The enemy's going to come and attack you in your identity and in works. He's going to ask you, if you are truly a son of God, Greg, then he's going to ask you, if he can't get you on that one, to do works that aren't eternal works, they're your works in his name. He's going to try and get you either way because he doesn't want to see this people on the earth that know who they are and see the kingdom come in them and through them. So he's going to try and deceive you, tempt you, lie to you any way he can to hoodwink you, and God allows it. For it was God that led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for the purpose of maturity. That's powerful. So this is our challenge, isn't it? When we look at bragging and trying to prove. So love doesn't brag, and it's not arrogant, because it's not trying to prove anything. You see, the enemy came and said, if you are, prove to me you are by changing that. If you say who you say you are, and I know you are, but I'm going to test you anyway, Make that become bread because you're hungry, aren't you? And what does Jesus say after that test? We just read it. What does it say? Man cannot live on physical food alone. And Deuteronomy says, do you know why God does this? Do you know why God takes you from one reality into another? To make you understand that you can't live this life on physical food. You can only come into this eternal life that I'm talking about, this life of love and power, if you're eating the right food. Now, when you eat the right food, you see. So you see the lie, you see the deception, you see the temptation, and you ignore it because you know exactly what it is. You're not hoodwinked by it because you can see it's a lie. So to get hoodwinked by the lie is to not know the what? Truth. If you know the truth, you can discern the lie. It's not rocket science. It's very simple. Which means we don't know the truth. Maybe because we're trying to prove ourselves worthy of God so we don't know God because our whole life is based on performance-based Christianity, which means we're not having the time to actually just sit at His feet and say, I want to know you through your living Scriptures and through the power of your Spirit, Father. And Lord, you've got so much time because you're outside of time to make that a reality. See, this is one of the things I had to be apprehended by as a leader. He said to me, Greg, What if no one did anything that you thought they should be doing? Would you be okay with that? He said, I've got all the time in the world I created it, and I'm outside of it. I've already finished everything, son. Will you and are you prepared as a leader to give the people the time they need to get to truly know me because they don't know me the way I want them to know me? Or are you so fixed on function and trying to change a world that I was never asking you to change? (laughs) 
But Lord, what about that? Whose church is it? But what about that? Whose church is it? But Father, I want to see this. this. Whose church is it? Whose world? Who created? Have you got the time? Because they don't know me. Why are you leading people that don't really know me to a lost world who don't know me? They're not going to be able to share much. You can't give something you don't have away, but you can talk about someone, but you've got no real authority and power and testimony to share the truth to see someone captivated by love because you know love. Let me tell you about peace, not some guy that hung on a cross for your sin. I love that. But let me tell you about a joy. Let me tell you about peace. Let me tell you about love. Let me tell you about rest. Let me tell you about freedom. Let me tell you how I used to worry and I no longer. Let me tell you about the addiction that no longer is. Why? Because of the Jesus that I know. But if you're trying to prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it, you never get the opportunity to sit at his feet and leaders don't let you sit at his feet. Man, I've been giving you this permission for 10 years now to sit at his feet. Have you taken up what I've given you? Really what he's giving you. But this leadership will not be based on function. It is based on relationship. Because I know it's the key. But see, the enemy knows the position of man. So he comes to the church and tries to get man to be works-led, not relationally-led. He gets leaders to be leading from gifting, not relationship. He gets leaders to lead from a leadership gift or an apostolic gift, not a relationship of identity with the Father. Which means what happens when you are functionally led because you're trying to prove something because you don't yet know who you are and it's by your works you find your identity and your accomplishment and well done. You actually treat people like assets and commodities and resources. And when they have done what you want them, you spit them out and you put them on the asset register list and they have no value anymore. Anyone being treated like that here? Not nice, is it? Sorry, you're over the hill. You're a certain age. Just shut up over there and retire. Because we're all about this age group here. We're all about this. We're all about this. We're all about this. Now, it's all about Jesus, aren't we? Well, if you know him and not are functionally led and driven, you are about him and you will be about function, but eternal works that the Father has ordained. And the enemy is trying to hoodwink the church and he's done a very good job at it, but he couldn't hoodwink the son because the son knew who he was. He was not a slave. He did not beg and he did not look for approval from his works, even though he did works. So where and what motive comes out of your heart if you're about works? These are big questions, aren't they? The enemy loves it when a church lives from function as her primary posture as opposed to her identity. The enemy loves it when a people called the church live from function as their primary posture as opposed to her identity. Now, I did not say we're not to do works, did I? Are we clear on that? Cool. Don't hear what I'm not saying, hear what I'm saying. But why is there? Two reasons. One, because while works are our primary purpose, we will never discover who we are and come into the full eternal life. 
while function works become the primary purpose of our church, this church and the church, we will never come into the eternal life we have been predestined to know because we're too busy doing stuff, not sitting at his feet. We're too busy like Martha, not Mary. But Mary was more active in the spirit than Martha. Second reason, because the enemy knows it's eternal works that are rewarded at the judgment seat, not any works. So the second reason why the enemy loves a church that lives from function primarily as opposed to identity is because the enemy knows it's eternal works, meaning Christ-led, empowered, spirit-led works that are rewarded at the judgment seat, not any works. Eternal works that are rewarded at the judgment seat come out of relationship, knowing who you are, not function. Jesus didn't do works to prove who he was. He did his Father's works to glorify his Father. This is why identity is so important. That's why the enemy will come and challenge, do you know who you are? If you don't know who you are, you'll more than likely adopt function, works, as your primary position. And then you'll look for stuff, but you aren't full of it. You're not full of the Holy Spirit. You're not full. You're not partaking, but you want to do stuff for Him. The heart can be right, meaning your motive is pure, but it's not going to get you where He wants to get you because you've got to go back to come into this reality or this life to come in. And it's a position of one, but it has an order to it. Because God said, I come to give the church rest, not stress, from doing works I never ordered. And see, when you're in this position, you don't brag. I don't have to get in front of you and say, do you know the gift in my life? If you don't, you need to know what it is. Now, here's the flip side. You actually do need to know the gift on people's lives so you can receive from them because there's a grace in given. But I don't stand up here and go, do you know what? I am the great because I don't need to. If you're in him, you'll know the gift on my life. You know the gift on other people's lives that you walk with if you're in him. So you don't need to prove. I don't need to think more highly of myself. Man, I've gone to places I'm sick I'm tired, and I'm sick of the arrogance. Me and Mike Hewitson once were at a conference, having a hanging out and stuff, big conference, and this well-recognized leader comes up, and we just said, hi, how you doing? You know the first thing out of his mouth? We say, hi, how are you? We're from The Rock. He says, do you know how many salvations we got last week and names on cards? I'm like, I don't really care. We got a hundred salvations, we got all their names, and we followed them up. I'm Greg. See, when you're not secure in yourself, meaning in Christ, and you're trying to prove something, you have to, in front of man, tell people how good you are. That's why we always ask, how big's your church? 
I wonder if they'd ask Jesus that question, how big his church was. How's that going for you? Three and a half years, you got 11 dudes. What sort of a leader are you, brother? Come on, man, we've got to win the world. 11. Now let's look at that 11. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it, to compare. If you want to compare yourself, compare yourself to Christ, not another human. See, love doesn't need to brag, and it's not arrogant, so it's very comfortable in its own skin. It's comfortable with someone else having a gifting that I don't have. It's comfortable seeing other people flourish and be released in God. It's very comfortable seeing the church fly, not trying to control it, not trying to manipulate it, not trying to keep it small so I can be the kingpin. It doesn't live like that. Love doesn't live. Love comes down to the bottom. It gets trampled on, and then it still loves, and then it lifts up those that may or may not know what they're doing. Isn't this the example? And it doesn't sit there going, hey, what are you doing to me? Don't you know I'm the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I've been sent for you? It just loves. It looks right past the behavior and sees the potential and goes, come on, let's get going. Come to know me first. Have your identity in me. But the devil's going, no, 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 man. You've got to go win a world. You've got to go and win the lost as the primary. Hear what I'm saying? The primary. No, you need to know him. And if you know him, do you know what you'll naturally do? Reach out. It will come so innately. Why? Because love cannot be contained. And we can't confuse arrogance with true humility. So true love is confident. It's very confident. It knows who it is, which means it has authority. But it's still humble. And we've got to get this one because too many times we confuse arrogance with true humility and humility comes from surrender, and where surrender is, true authority is found. And when one stands in front of you, whoever they are, and speaks from a place of love, it has power. It speaks of a realm that's a realm from the kingdom, not achievable by man. But to think that's arrogant would be to hoodwink yourself and not receive and come into because you don't believe what's being said because you've written the person off as being arrogant. And you have to discern the difference between true arrogance and pride and true humility. Lust always feels like it needs to prove itself to God and others, where love never does. Love's root system is Christ. Lust's root system is man. And that's why in this passage in Luke, there are so many things going on here. Man, you probably can't see this, but if I could show you this. Can you see all the colors? There's arrows going all over the place. There's things written at the side. There's green, orange, yellow, and pink. Pink being the latest revelation. And you can see where God speaks. When you spend time meditating and marinating in Him, there is a whole knowledge, meaning living knowledge in these scriptures that he wants us to eat. 
And as I was looking at this before, I'm going, oh man, that goes over to that line. Then it takes me up to the top of the page where I've tried to write at the top of the page. When, when my Bible fell apart, it was a pain because they rebound it. But I saw if I'd written on the side, I was like, oh, they bound it so hard. I was like, what does that say again? And I remind myself every time I come here of the things God has spoken and reminded me of things. So in him we have nothing to prove. It's not a competition. The enemy will try and make it a competition. He'll try and have you look and compare. But when we are in love, we're able to receive love and we're able to receive love on others. We're able to receive a word of love that may be a correctional word because love comes to help and align. But the challenge is, as I say, if we're works-based, when we get to that judgment seat, you can hear, it's possible to hear, Lord, Lord. Can you hear that scripture now through another lens? Look what we did for you in your name. They didn't know who they were. They sort of knew him. They'd say they know about him. They had a gifting and a calling, but they got ahead of him, and they never got behind him. And so ultimately, you track that out, works, 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 through gifting and calling that God gave and gracing, you end up at a judgment seat, and the judgment is what for? Reward. It's not a punishment judgment, it's for reward. So he has these rewards that the Bible clearly speaks of to give to his children. The first one is the bride. And Jesus says, sorry, I never knew you. I never had a relationship. You never knew me and never took the time to discover. Why? Because you were trying to prove yourself to me. You were trying to prove yourself to others. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Instead of going, look at him, look at him, look at him. And this is the challenge because there are works to be done, but in an alignment to the Father. Jesus said, I do nothing of my own initiative. I only do what I see my Father doing and what the Holy Spirit speaks. This is why abiding in Christ is vital. And I don't mean just hearing a voice and going doing works. I mean abiding in the tree. So you have the river life of the tree coming in you. Love is not perfected by going and doing a work. Love is perfected by being in love. The vine, the Christ, because the root system of that tree is love, is it not? Jesus, be rooted and grounded in love, Christ. So then when you actually flow and do works, you've heard the works to be done. They are inspired and led by the one of the work and empowered by that one. So you can't sit there and take any glory for the work. Look at me, look at me, look at me. No, it's look at God, look at God, look at God. Run from a leader that's pointing you to them. They are a functional leader. Come and help me do my vision. Hear them? You're here to fulfill our vision. No, we're here to do His will. 
and we are all one body, supposed to be doing the same will, not multiple different wills. One will as the body of Christ, are we not? Do you know why we get this? Because we are functional leaders, not relational leaders. When you are relational, he shows you his will. And he shows you the pattern of how that flows out of you. Then you lead from that place and you lead everybody to the Father's and the Father's will, which means everybody has the life that they've been predestined to know if they're going towards the Father and the Father's will. But a leader cannot give you that life. He can only, or she can point you to that life, and you have to take that up with the Father and want what they are asking for you. And if we don't do that, then we become slaves begging, trying to prove. We become like the older brother. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you've had the party for him. He went and wasted your entire life. Entire life blah, 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 blah. I've been here all along. I've done everything wrong. Father looks and says, mate, you're missing it as much as he was missing it. I hope you've heard him today. Father, I thank you.